Uh, we're starting uh, our last mini-series of the summer. Overall, we've been looking at Psalms, but in particular, different themes. And this is our, our last series, and hopefully it's ending on a positive note. We're looking at songs of hope to build us in confidence in a challenging world. And we're going to start with Psalm 46, which you've already heard in a couple of different ways this morning. Uh, Psalm 46 is, I, I haven't looked at it and researched it that much, but has to be one of the most songified psalms, if that's a word, uh, that there is. We just sang one that's pretty new. At the beginning of the service, we sang A Mighty Fortress, which is based on Psalm 46. Martin Luther himself in the 1500s penning that. There are another half a dozen or so songs based on hymns based on Psalm 46 in the Trinity hymnal that we often use here. The psalm structurally lends itself to, to study. It's got three parts and they're all set off by that strange Hebrew word, silah. We don't know for sure what it means, but we're pretty sure it has something to do with a musical instruction like we would have in a modern score of music that's something like, you know, mezzo forte for you get loud, I think is what that is, or crescendo, you know, slowly increase or decrease, decrescendo. Um, I'm stretching back many years to remember those things from marching band and high school concert band. But this word marks off very clearly some sections in this psalm, verse 3, verse 7, verse 11. But in the last two sections... There's not only the, the silah that ends the section, but there is what you might call a refrain, a mini chorus that says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. The same thing again, verse 7 and 11. And I think it is that, that refrain, it is that theme that the Lord is with us as we just sang in that new hymn. The Lord is with us in our real lives, in the real trouble that we face, in the challenges that are not just outside and around us, but even within us, the temptations, the weaknesses, as well as the opposition and the hassles and even our successes and how they can all present a challenge to us. And this psalm not only deals with that, but in fact shows us how to rise above it all. And interestingly enough, to do that by finding peace, whether anything around us or inside of us changes or not. So would you read with me, please, Psalm 46, to find hope and strength. Psalm 46, this is God's word. For the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah, set to Alamot a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. 
The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Amen. Well, Lord God, we thank you for your word, and I pray that as we look at this psalm today and in the coming weeks, that as we deal with life in a fallen and broken world among broken people and we ourselves being broken, Lord, and whatever challenges and even in the midst of our successes, give us hope, a proper hope, a confidence rooted not in anything that we have or anything around us or even for the future, but a hope that is rooted in you. For you have promised to be a very present help, our strength, our refuge. Meet us here today, we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Years ago, I read a a story, a true story, about three ordinary men I think one was a pastor and then a couple of elders or ministry leaders from his church. And they were out for a walk one evening. Um, and this was in California somewhere. And they're just on a, on a sidewalk or path walking along. And they are going past uh, a bar. And just like in a movie, they said that there must have been a bar fight inside. And it had spilled out into the parking lot. And the fight was continuing out there in the parking lot. And as they walked by, in particular, they noticed that there were several men beating up on just one guy and really pummeling him. And they kind of looked at each other and knew they had to do something. But these were like big, angry, fighting people, and they're just three regular guys. And so this conviction that they had to do something, they kind of timidly and maybe without much hope, headed over to where the men were and said something very, you know, bold like, hey, stop! Stop it! And the guys who were fighting kind of looked over at them and then began to look very afraid and stopped fighting and started backing away. And before the three men could begin to think, hey, yeah, we're something special, they happened to look behind them. And they saw, and I quote, out of the bar had come the biggest man I think I've ever seen. He was something like six foot seven inches, 300 pounds, and maybe 2% body fat. Just huge. We called him Bubba, not to his face, but afterwards, (laughs) when we talked about him. And Bubba didn't say a word. He just stood there and flexed. You could tell he was hoping they would try to have a go at him. And so then they, with this new confidence, with the Bubba at their back, said, yeah, get out of here. Don't let me see you coming around here again. 
Yeah, there's some boldness there, right? Because Bubba was with them. Because Bubba had their back, there was no fear. But without Bubba, there was this fear, there's this uncertainty. How's it going to turn out? I don't think I have any help. I'm afraid. And that's what fear does. Fear thrives when you feel alone, when you feel incapable, when you feel like you don't have any help. But on the other hand, when, when you have help, when you know you're not alone, and when you have someone like a Bubba at your back, fear flees and confidence replaces it. And as we look at this psalm, that's played out. If you look at verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's great, wonderful. So what? What does it say in verse 2? Therefore, we will not fear. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We are not alone. We have someone better than a bubble behind us. We have the king of the universe, the God of all strength and source of all protection is with us. Therefore, we will not fear. But the psalm here is affirming the reality that God is present for his people always, at all times, especially in the midst of trouble. You know, does, how would that change your life You know, if you had literally someone like Bubba behind you the whole time following around, right? You'd be a little more confident from pretty much everything, right? You'd go into the dark alley. You'd go anywhere in the city. You'd do about anything that could bring some physical danger because you know you're safe. You know, if we really believe God is a very present help in trouble, It will change our life way more than just having a person with muscles at our side. Although it's good to have people with muscles around, right? The word for trouble here has the sense of of narrowness. God is a very present help in trouble. It it, it could be translated as tight places. Physically, reality, you know, a canyon or something narrowing down. Or, Or as a metaphor of, of that emotional response we experience when, when we feel pressed against by stress in life, even by enemies in battle or just by circumstances. Or even we could feel that kind of tightness and stress and, and, and pressure from just internal forces, our own wrong decisions or, or our passions that threaten to overwhelm us. And it's in particular that the psalm here is emphasizing that at those times, in trouble, the Lord is a very present help. Therefore, do not fear. That should be a life-transforming, confidence-building statement for us. When the most stable things in life are shaking, we don't need to fear. 
when even something that's as certain and strong as mountains that exist from of old, when they seem to be crumbling and falling into the heart of the sea, and when it seems like the seas are swelling and threatening to overwhelm us and drown us, we need not fear. God is still there. When our relationships are challenged and life is full of struggles, when you're trying to do the right thing, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, and it doesn't seem to be yielding the results that you want, God is still there. And that's the major emphasis of this psalm, that God is near and helpful. Do not fear. Do not fear. What that means, though, is that you need to appropriate that truth. You need to believe that. You need to begin to look for God's presence. Are you looking for Him in those times of trouble? You know, are, you, are you taking matters into your own hands? Working that much harder? Or maybe even giving up because you know you can't do it? God is still there. He's near, do not fear. And in fact, what the psalm says is that you can have a sense of this, this, this flowing water, verse 4, a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High, that you can have God in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The, the image is that of a city under siege where the enemies are around and in a siege battle in those days, you know, basically, if you couldn't penetrate the walls of the city, you would just hang out long enough that they would starve to death or run out of water and give up. But if you had water flowing in the midst of the city, you could hold out almost forever. And that's the picture. That you can have this life-giving water, you can have an internal sustenance that will keep you going, that you can have God in the midst so you will not be moved, and God will help when morning dawns. And so what does that look like? If we can unpack that a little bit. What, what does that help look like, and how do you get it? Those are the two questions for today. What, what does that help look like, and how do you get it? Well, first of all, there are two forms of help that the Lord provides. Two forms of help. The first one is to keep you safe from outside threats. And the key word there in verse 1 is refuge. To keep you safe from outside threats. He's a refuge. Verse 1, God is our refuge. And strength, the very present help in trouble. Refuge is a safe place to hide. A place to gather together when the storms of life are all around. You know, we in our house in Tennessee had a, a room that was basically made out of cinder blocks and happened to be uh, on the lower floor. Our house was built into a hill. And when the tornado sirens went off and the warnings went off, which they did a lot, uh, a lot <laughs> at certain times of year, we would go into that place as a refuge. The, a tornado could come by and just take away the whole house but we'd be safe. That's a refuge. A place where you can't be touched and harmed by what's going on around you. When the winds of change blow in unexpectedly, God provides a safe place to ride it out. 
and his refuge, nothing from the outside can cause you lasting harm. I think it's key to realize the context is, you know, we're talking about permanent lasting harm, not short-term tragedies. Because we looked a couple weeks ago at how we do experience suffering. And it sometimes is, is super mysterious of why. We don't know why. It's not because of our own sin or the sins of other people. The suffering will come into our lives, even faithful Christians. This is not a promise to give you a refuge from every physical harm that could ever fall upon you. Because in the end, after all, there is something physical that is going to kill one of us. And it could be cancer, or it could be uh, a car accident, it could be whatever. But it's going to be probably something physical. And so the refuge that the Lord offers is something beyond this mere physical safety, though he does offer that. And do pray when you travel for safety and mercy, even as I prayed a little while ago, right? We pray for God to be gracious, to keep us safe as we travel in our cars or planes, as we go into places that we're not familiar with. We pray for that. Pray for the Lord to protect you from illnesses and deliver you from them. And... Recognize that what God is offering is something more than merely physical safety, the refuge he provides. And in fact, it becomes more clear when we look at the second form of help he provides. Not only the safe from outside threats with the refuge, but safe from internal weaknesses. And the word is strength. The Lord has promised to keep you safe from internal weaknesses with strength. Verse 1 again, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In other words, God in other words, God works in you. All right? Strength is something inside that will pump you up for whatever is in front of you. That and if it's inside, nothing can cut you off from it. You know, a big part of any war is the supply lines and getting food and ammo and weapons and all those kind of things to the warring troops, right? And if you can blow up the bridges along the way and cut off the enemy's supply lines, then they will do the same thing as a siege, right? They will have to give up. They will have to turn around. They will, they will suffer and die. And what this strength that the Lord provides is, is untouchable. From the outside, it is this water flowing within. It is this internal building up of his people. But it's, it's more than that. In fact, one commentator says, not only is strength a quality given by God, he himself is that strength. God is the strength. Frequently, it says here in this commentary, the, the personal possessive pronouns are attached to strength to show this. That, that the strength is the Lord's. Verse 7 of Psalm 28 is just one example of many. The Lord is my strength and my shield. Notice that it's the same image, right? The strength, internal shield, protection from outside threats, just like a refuge. A shield is kind of a portable refuge. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him. 
and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exults, and with my song I shall thank him. You know, it's not just that God kind of is some sort of, you know, steroid or, or growth hormone that if you inject it, you begin to have muscles and strength, right? It is God himself who is the strength. He is my strength. He is my shield. Not merely that he makes me strong, but that he is those things. My heart trusts in him. This is, these are internal things. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. My heart exults and I shall thank him. Fear thrives in those scenarios where you think you're alone, where you have no help, no resources. And essentially what this is saying is that God is both a a resource and, and help for the things that you encounter in the world around you, and he will ultimately keep you safe. And as well, he will give you the strength to persevere and endure those things. He will be your strength. And the only way we can really understand that is to keep going in the psalm and dig in. But it's emphasizing this truth that God is near and helpful. Do not fear. You know, how do you find that help then? Well, there's two directions to take. There are two directions to take to get that help. First of all, relax. Below. The Lord says to relax below here in this life. Look at verse 10. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, the word for the earth comes up like five times in this psalm. It's very rooted in our existence on this planet, in this place, down here below. And what the Lord says is relax below. Cease striving. The other translations put more familiar language probably. Uh, be still and know that I am God. The, the expression basically means relax. Relax. Chill. Relax. The Lord says, and know that I am God. I've got this, he says. I'm still here. I am a present help. Do not fear. In fact, the basis that he gives for relaxing happens right before verse 10. And if you're reading along, he gives the reason and then he says the punchline. Verse 8. Come, behold, those are two commands. Come, behold, basically saying what? Look, really, pay attention. Check this out. What is it? The works of the Lord. Come, behold, verse 8, the works of the Lord, who's wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. All the war on the earth, God can cease. And if you look through history, He has at some point or another. 
because there is always some irrationality going on as wars rage. Sooner or later, he will stop the war between Russia and Ukraine. Sooner or later, he will stop all of the wars and make it end. And he's saying, look at what I've done. Look at the history. And trust me. You know, he's the one. Behold his works, how he ends wars, and all those kind of things. And that punchline is verse 10. So relax and know that I am God. The nations can't do that. You are in a privileged position as one of God's people to hear these promises and know that, you know what? I am not his enemy. I don't have to be like verse 6 says, the nations that are in an uproar, the kingdoms that are tottering, because he raises his voice and the earth melts. Because verse 7, the Lord of hosts, the strength, the might in battle, is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Kind of like the refuge idea again, but a little different. We'll talk about it in a second. To get the help, in other words, you need to relax. You need to trust that it's still God who is present. A help in your times of trouble. And even if nothing around you changes, he's saying you don't need to fear. You don't need to have the anxiety. You you can breathe. And relax. And be still. In fact, it's only as you begin to do that that you you will find it easier to do that. It's it's only as you begin to lean into him and trust him that he's got this, that he's got you, that you will find that your fear decreases, that your anguish and suffering decrease. Uh, Years ago, a number of years ago now, uh, when one of our sons was two years old, he fell out of bed. And it wasn't a very high bed. It was a little higher than a normal bed. But he fell out of bed. And uh, the next morning, woke up, and he it was folding, holding his arm really funny. Like, and, he, and if he moved it, you could see him wincing. We thought, that doesn't look right. Maybe something's broken. So we go to our country hospital there in, in our little country town. And they do x-rays and say, yeah, no, it's not broken. Maybe just strained something. So, you know, we're operating that way. Until two days later, the head of radiology calls us and says, yeah, no, that's broken. You need to see a doctor and get it taken care of. Meanwhile, while we don't know that and we think it's just something hurting, we've got to live life with the two-year-old. And have you ever, you know, how often you have to pick them up. And it turns out what this child had was a broken uh, collarbone. And if you ever move any part of the side of the body, it's just excruciating pain. But if you can just hold it still, even with like this backpack looking strap thing, they're fine. But we didn't know that. And so we're trying to live life with a two-year-old, picking him up to put him at the table so he could eat, picking him up to go to the potty, picking him up to get into the car, just picking up, picking up, picking up. And we found a way that if you go under the other armpit and one leg, the opposite leg, and you hold tight, you're not going to drop him. But it really didn't feel secure for him. You imagine being held like that, right? Even, you know, if you're only, what, like, you know, 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 40 pounds, uh, you know, big, strong dad, you know, despite, you know, that's a joke. Uh, 
you know, holding him. I could, I could hold him. I get him in the seat. But what would happen is in that insecurity and not feeling stable, we like shaking a little bit. Because I had the good arm and the leg under the bad arm, that bad arm is free. And feeling unstable, he would reach out to anything. And what would happen? Ah! You just see, ah! Like, you couldn't, couldn't help, you know, going to sit in the car seat. And it's like, oh, oh, trying to reach something because this insecurity, this instability. And I found myself saying something along these lines. I've got you. Just be still. Just relax. It feels shaky, but I've got you. I'm not going to drop you. And it wasn't until he believed that and stop flailing around and reaching out that the pain lessened. It's such a picture, brothers and sisters, of what the Lord is saying to you. To lean into him, to trust him, even when life feels unstable and super shaky, when you flail around reaching for hope and, and trying to cover the pain and self-medicate, whether it's by working your own rear end off, or by turning to some substance, or by resorting to anger or violence, until you would relax and recognize that God is, this doesn't mean God has gone anywhere. He's still present. I don't need to fear. It's only as you relax. Which doesn't mean you don't do anything, right? This is an attitude of the heart, not about actually what you physically do. But you can relax even while you're running. You can relax in any situation. It's an attitude of trust and confidence. Like a two-year-old just leaning in to their father's arms and saying, I know he's got me. And this is still really scary. This is still really challenging. But in the end, I know my father has me. But how do you do that? That's so easy to say, right? Oh, yeah. Well, if I was a two-year-old, I would do that in a minute, right? I know that. Well, you're not, you know, you're a two-year-old. And in some ways, you know, some of us are two-year-olds in our faith, and that's okay. How do you grow and mature to the point where you recognize, you know what, I really can lean into him and trust him. Number one thing you need to do is read the Bible, right? Look at the stories of what God has done. The Old Testament is full of times that God has delivered His people through wars and those kind of things, yes, and through His own providential working when things seemed out of their control. Just read the book of Esther. Look at the, the people of God as slaves in Egypt and how they were delivered. You know, God does those kind of things. In the New Testament, it's, it's a similar story, right? Of persecution and God bringing things about. And there are people who die and people who suffer. And yet the overall story, there is enough content in all of Scripture for you to say, this God is present. He is a help. I do not need to fear. And even when the bad things happen... He's working in it. In fact, all things are working together for good. And I don't understand it, but I need to lean into it and relax. You know, read Hebrews chapter 11. And, and, and don't just read the Bible. Do read the Bible, but also 
Listen to the stories of people around you and ask them, how has God worked in your life? It's one of the beautiful things we get to do as elders in the church when people come for membership. We get to interview them and they share so many different ways that we get to hear God working in their lives in the past of, you know, the last minute planes that are caught to get out of a civil war zone to just providential happenings of, of someone tuning into a radio dial at a certain time or happening to meet somebody. All of those kind of things that, that demonstrate that God's at work. Read some good Christian biographies or watch some good Christian movies about the saints of old. Uh, my wife and I just went yesterday to see a new production of The Hiding Place, the uh, stage play turned into a movie based on the story of Corey Ten Boom and her family who sheltered hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Jewish people, hiding them from the Nazis during World War II and getting them out of uh, her city of Harlem in the Netherlands. And they were finally caught. Her father died within 10 days of them being caught. Her sister died at her side in the concentration camp, Ravensbrück. She saw atrocities and horrors beyond mention. And through it all, she saw her sister, Betsy, taking this rest in God so seriously that everyone she met, she would think of how she needs to love them. Brutal captors, she would say, they must have so much pain in their heart to be that angry and mean. I have to love them. We have to love them. It is the only way. It is the only light that will overcome the darkness. And Corey, through it all, is just saying, I'm angry. I, I hate them. I cannot, I cannot love them. I can't forgive them. Where is God in all of this? She rests. As her sister just seems to appropriate that truth and live it out. Her sister seeing beyond, as she would say, this, this suffering. She would see beyond. And, and in fact, that's, that's, that's where you get to if you will relax. If you will settle in and rest in the fact that God is present and helpful. You don't need to fear. If you will rest and lean into that, you get to see beyond. Or as I put it here in, in, our, in our text, that you get to rise above. You know, you not only relax below, but as you relax below, this interesting thing happens where you begin to rise above all without going anywhere. It's again an attitude, it's perspective on life that you would see beyond. And that was the perspective of Casper Ten Boom, Corey's father, of Betsy, her sister, and eventually where Corey herself got. The, the rising above is here in verse 10. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord is saying that I will be lifted up. I will be seen to be above all. That's who He is. And He's saying it's going to happen. 
I will be exalted. I alone will be exalted. At the heights, he says in verse 7, that the Lord of hosts, this same Lord who's going to be exalted, is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. That's the refrain, right? Verse 7, verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And that word stronghold sounds like a refuge, and it kind of is. But it's got a nuance that's super important. And it is this, that it has to do with heights. That it has to do with rising above. By finding security by being above the harm. It comes from a word that means to be inaccessibly high. A stronghold would be up on a hill. A stronghold would be unreachable by the enemies. And if they dared to climb up, you could just let them have it from the heights. You had no fear because you were above it all. Security and safety by rising above all of the very real threats. And you get to that place by relaxing below by leaning into who the Lord is. And in fact, the reason we often have as much fear and anxiety as we do is because we're overly concerned with our own abilities. I can't do it. It's, it, was, it was amazing to me just reflecting on, on, on the story of Corrie Ten Boom. How often she said that, I can't do I can't forgive these people. I hate them. And Betsy said, you can't. You're right. I can't, but he can. God is in you, within you, the one who loves, the one who suffered, the one who rose above, coming down to enter into our suffering, bearing our suffering, our guilt, our shame, our sin, paying the full penalty going as low as you could possibly get. Leaning into trusting in the Father's will. And he rose victorious. Because God will always be exalted. There will come a day when all of the suffering you've ever experienced will be shown to have been a demonstration of the glory of God. And I can just see us, you know, maybe there'll be movies, screens, or something. I don't know. Maybe we'll just see it in our heads. I, I don't know what heaven will look like in this, but I have this imagination of just seeing. Oh, 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 and just again and again. Wow! Because you get to see some glimpses of it in your life now. And in fact, that was the place that Corey Ten Boom got to that really hit her because She's there in the concentration camp. Betsy dies. She doesn't know how she can go on without Betsy and her positive influence. And within a few days, they call Corey Ten Boom up front, addressing her by her prisoner number and her name, which blows her mind. And they begin to ask her if she was mistreated. Had she seen other prisoners mistreated? And she's just afraid. It's just no, no. And they say, you're free to go from the concentration camp. You're free to go. The war was not over yet. You're free to go. Within a few days, everyone her age at that concentration camp was killed. 
in the awful way that they killed people. And she was freed. Why? Because of a clerical error. She should not have been freed. Someone made a mistake with some paperwork somewhere. And she was set free. And in that moment of seeing that, that grace that she was spared, she recognized the numerous times that God had been at work in even the horrible things like fleas that infested their barracks and bit them incessantly had the positive feature of keeping the guards and everyone else out. So they would have time to read the Bible undisturbed with the Bible she was able to smuggle in. That they could see in all of those things the hand of God. And so to recognize that God is going to be exalted, right? So to look for those places where he is being exalted, where he is working, where he has shown himself to be a present help, both in his word and in your life and in the lives of the people around you, to begin to dwell on those things, to look for them that you might relax, that you might behold the works of the Lord while the nations are in uproar, that you might see the insanity of what people are doing with gender and sexuality and everything else and be still and know that he is God. And in the end, he will be exalted. To know that, you know what, you should be active and you should work hard to see right things done. And in the end, it's still going to be up to him. And he's still going to be exalted. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper here in a, in a few minutes. And it's a great demonstration that you get to participate in every month, Lord willing, where you come in faith to take just the bread and the cup. And I hope you see that in taking that bread and cup, you're acknowledging that, that this represents your refuge, that this is the place where you hide. Not by your own effort, but in the body of Jesus. In his body given for you. That you recognize that even death can be escaped through that refuge. If you put your faith in him, lean into him, acknowledging it in the supper. That you recognize that this is your strength. That even as bread provides nourishment to our physical bodies, this bread that he's given to us in communion nourishes our faith and allows us to exercise that faith that we might be strengthened. That it is in the the communion where we see this great truth played out. We get to taste it. Not only see it, not only hear it, but taste it. That the Lord is good, that he has provided for us a refuge and strength that he will nourish and sustain us where it's most important that in our faith to persevere through to the end and even death itself will not conquer you. The Lord is your help. He is near. Do not fear.
Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. It is trustworthy and true. Lord, bring to our minds and our hearts uh, a, a conviction of reading it, of hearing your faithfulness from our brothers and sisters in their testimonies and their stories. Lord, I thank you for sparing Corey Ten Boom in the way that she then dedicated her life to testifying to your faithfulness in the midst of suffering beyond imagine that she found your help. Oh Lord, give us that same hope, that same grace to rise above, to see beyond that we might not fear. Because you are a present help. In Jesus' name, amen.